Welcome back, class, to Chapter 5.3, uh, continuing on in our listening chapter. Today, we will be improving listening competence in this chapter. The learning objectives are, one, identify strategies for improving listening competence at each stage of the listening process. Two, summarize the characteristics of active listening. Three, apply critical listening skills in interpersonal, educational, and mediated contexts. Four, practice empathetic listening skills. And five, discuss ways to improve listening competence in relational, professional, and cultural contexts. Many people admit that they could stand to improve their listening skills. This section will help do that. In this section, we will learn strategies for developing and improving competence at each stage of the listening process. We will also define active listening and the behaviors that go along with it. Looking back to the types of listening we discussed earlier, we will learn specific strategies for sharpening our critical and empathetic listening skills. In keeping with our focus on integrative learning, we will also apply the skills we have learned in academic, professional, and relational contexts and explore how culture and gender affect listening. Listening competence at each stage of the listening process. We can develop competence within each stage of the listening process, as the following list indicates, Ridge 1993. To improve li listening at the receiving stage, prepare yourself to listen, discern between intentional messages and noise, concentrate on stimuli most relevant to your listening purposes or goals, be mindful of the selection and attention process as much as possible. Pay attention to turn-taking signals so you can follow the conversational flow and avoid interrupting someone when they are speaking in order to maintain your ability to receive stimuli and listen. Two, to improve listening at the interpreting stage, identify main points and supporting points. Use contextual clues from the person or environment to discern additional meaning. Be aware of how a relational, cultural, or situational context can influence meaning. Be aware of the different meanings of silence and note differences in tone of voice and other paralinguistic cues that influence meaning. Three, to improve listening at the recalling stage, Use multiple sensory channels to decode messages and make more complete memories. Repeat, rephrase, and reorganize information to fit your cognitive preferences. And use mnemonic devices as a gimmick to help with recall. Four, to improve listening at the evaluating stage, separate facts, inferences, and judgments. Be familiar with and able to identify persuasive strategies and fallacies of reasoning. Assess the credibility of the speaker and the message and be aware of your own biases and how you filter and how your perceptual filters can create barriers to effective listening. Five, to improve listening at the responding stage Ask appropriate clarifying and follow-up questions and paraphrase information to check understanding. 
Give feedback that is relevant to the speaker's purpose, motivation for speaking. Adapt your responses to the speaker and the context, and do not let the preparation and rehearsal of your response diminish earlier stages of listening. Active listening. Active listening refers to the process of pairing outwardly visible positive listening behaviors with positive cognitive listening practices. Active listening can address many of the environmental, physical, cognitive, and personal barriers to effective listening that we discussed earlier. The behaviors associated with active listening can also enhance informational, critical, and empathetic listening. Active listening can help overcome barriers to effective listening. Being an active listener starts before you actually start to receive a message. Active listeners make strategic choices to take action in order to set up ideal listening conditions. Physical and environmental noises can often be managed by moving locations or by manipulating the lighting, temperature, or furniture. When possible, avoid important listening activities during the times of distracting psychological or physiological noise. For example, we often know when we're going to be hungry, full, more awake, less awake, more anxious, or less anxious, and can advance planning and advanced planning can alleviate the presence of these barriers. For college students, who often have some flexibility in their class schedules, knowing when you best listen can help you make strategic choices regarding what class to take when. And student options are increasing, as some colleges are offering classes in the overnight hours to accommodate working students and students who are just night owls. Topo, 2011. Of course, we don't always have control over our schedule, in which case we will need to utilize other effective listening strategies that we will learn more about in this chapter. In terms of cognitive barriers to effective listening, we can prime ourselves to listen by analyzing a listening situation before it begins. For example, you could ask yourself the following questions. One, what are my goals for listening to this message? Two, how does this message relate to me, affect my life? Three, what, types, what listening type and style are most appropriate for this message? As we learned earlier, the difference between speech and thought processing rate means the listener's level of attention varies while receiving a message. Effective listeners must work to maintain focus as much as possible and refocus when, atti when attention shifts or fades. Wolven and Cloakley, 1993. One way to do this is to find the motivation to listen. If you can identify intrinsic and or extrinsic motivations for listening to a particular message, then you will more likely remember the information presented. Ask yourself how a message could impact your life, your career, your intellect, or your relationships. This can help overcome our tendency towards selective attention. As senders of messages, we can help listeners by making the relevance of what we're saying clear and offering well-organized messages that are tailored for our listeners.
We will learn much more about establish, establishing relevance, organizing a message, and gaining the intention of an audience in public speaking context later in the book. Given that we can process more words per minute than people can speak, we can engage in internal dialogue, making good use of our intrapersonal communication to become a better listener. Three possibilities for internal dialogue include covert coaching, self-reinforcement, and covert questioning. Explanations and examples of each follow. Hargy, 2011. Covert coaching involves sending, messes, sending yourself messages containing advice about better listening, such as you're getting distracted by things you have to do after work. Just focus on what your supervisor is saying now. Self-reinforcement involves sending yourself affirmative and positive messages. You're being a good active listener. This will help you do well on the next exam. Covert questioning involves asking yourself questions about the content in ways that focus your attention and reinforce the material. What is the main idea from that PowerPoint slide? Why is he talking about his brother in front of our neighbors? Internal dialogue is a more structured way to engage in active listening, but we can use more general approaches as well. I suggest that students occupy the extra channels in their mind with thoughts that are related to the primary message being received instead of the thoughts that are unrelated. We can use those channels to resort, rephrase, and repeat what the speaker says. When we resort, we can help mentally repair disorganized messages. When we rephrase, we can put messages into our own words in ways that better fit our cognitive preferences. When we repeat, we can help messages transfer from short-term to long-term memory. Other tools can help with concentration and memory. Mental bracketing refers to the process of intentionally separating out intrusive or irrelevant thoughts that may distract you from listening. McCormick, 2007. This requires that we monitor our concentration and attention and be prepared to let thoughts that aren't related to a speaker's message pass through our minds without giving us much attention, without giving them much attention. Monomic devices are techniques that can aid in information recall. Hargi, 2011. Starting in Greece and Rome, um, educators use these devices to help people remember information. They work by imposing order and organization on information. Three main monomic devices are acronyms, rhymes, and visualization and the examples of each follow. Acronyms, H-O-M-E-S, to help remember the Great Lakes, Huron, Ontario, Michigan, Erie, and Superior. Rhyme, righty-tighty, lefty-loosey, to remember which way most light bulbs, screws, and other coupling devices turn to make them go in or out. Visualization, Imagine seeing a glass of port wine, which is red, 
and the red navigation light on a boat to help you remember that the red light on a boat is always on the port side, which will also help you remember that the blue light must be on the starboard side. Active listening behaviors. From the suggestions discussed previously, you can see that we can prepare for active listening in advance and engage in certain cognitive strategies to help us listen better. We also engage in active listening behaviors as we receive and process messages. Eye contact is a key sign of active listening. Speakers usually interpret a listener's eye contact as a signal of attentiveness. When a lack of eye contact may indicate inattentiveness, it can also signal cognitive processing. When we look away to process new information, we usually do it unconsciously. Be aware, however, that your conversational partner may interpret this as not listening. If you really do need to take a moment to think about something, you could indicate to the other person by saying, That's, this is new information for me. Give me just a second to think about it. We already learned the role that back channel cues play in listening. An occasional head nod and uh-huh signal that you are paying attention. However, when we give these cues as a form of autopilot listening, others can usually tell that we are pseudo-listening. And whether they call us out on it or not, that impression could lead to negative judgments. A more, a more direct way to indicate active listening is to reference previous statements made by the speaker. Norms of politeness usually call on us to reference a past statement or connect to the speaker's current thought before starting a conversational turn. Being able to summarize what someone said to ensure that the topic has been satisfactorily covered and understood or being able to segue into set it in such a way that validates what the previous speaker said helps regulate conversational flow. Ask probing questions is another way to directly indicate listening and to keep a conversation going. Since they encourage and invite a person to speak more, you can also ask questions that seek clarification and not just elaboration. Speakers should present complex information at a slower speaking rate than familiar information, but many would not will not. Remember that your nonverbal feedback can be useful for a speaker as it signals that you are listening, but also whether or not you understand. If a speaker fails to read your nonverbal feedback, you may need to follow up with verbal with verbal communication in the form of paraphrased messages and clarifying questions. As active listeners, we want to be excited and engaged, but don't let excitement manifest itself in interruptions. Being an active listener means knowing when to maintain our role as listener and resist the urge to take a conversational turn. Research shows that people with higher social status are more likely to interrupt others. So keep this in mind and be prepared for it if you're speaking to a high status person or try to resist it if you are the high status person in an interaction. Hargy, 2011. Note taking can also indicate active listening. 
Translating information through writing into our cognitive structures and schemata allows us to better interpret and assimilate information. Of course, note-taking isn't always a viable option. It would be fairly awkward to take notes during a first date or a casual exchange between new co-workers. But in some situations where we wouldn't normally consider taking notes, a little awkwardness might be worth it for the sake of understanding and recalling information. For example, many people don't think about taking notes when getting information from their doctor or banker. I actually invite students to take notes during informal meetings because I think sometimes they don't think about it or they don't think it's appropriate. But many people would rather would rather someone jot notes down instead of having to respond to follow-up questions on information that was already clearly conveyed. To help facilitate your note-taking, you might say something like, do you mind if I jot some notes? This seems important. In summary, active listening is exhibited through verbal and nonverbal cues, including steady eye contact with the speaker, smiling, slightly raised eyebrows, upright posture, body position that's leaned in toward the speaker, nonverbal uh, back channel cues such as head nods, verbal back channel cues such as okay, mm-hmm, or uh, or oh, and a lack of distracting mannerisms like doodling or fidgeting. Hargy, 2011. Become a better critical listener. Critical listening involves evaluating the credibility, completeness, and worth of a speaker's message. Some listening scholars note that critical listening represents the deepest level of listening. Floyd, 1985. Critical listening, listening is, is also an important is also important in a democracy that values free speech. The U.S. Constitution grants U.S. citizens the right to free speech, and many people duly protect that right for you and me. Since people can just say about anything they want, we're surrounded by countless meanings that vary tremendously in terms of their value, degree of ethics, accuracy, and quality. Therefore, it falls on us to responsibly and critically evaluate the messages we receive. Some messages are produced by people who are unintentionally or who are intentionally misleading, ill-informed, or motivated by the potential for personal gain. But such messages can be received as honest, credible, or altruistic, even though they aren't. Being able to critically evaluate messages helps us to have more control over and awareness of the influence such people may have on us. In order to critically evaluate messages, we must enhance our critical listening skills. Some critical listening skills include distinguishing, distinguishing between facts and inferences, evaluating supporting evidence, discovering your own biases, and listening beyond the message. Chapter 3, Verbal Communication, noted that part of being an ethical communicator is being accountable for what we say by distinguishing between facts and inferences. Hayakawa and Hayakawa, 1990. This is ideal. This is an ideal that is not always met in practice, so critical listeners should always make these distinctions, since the speaker may not. Since facts are widely agreed on conclusions, they can also be verified through some extra research. 
Take care in your research to note that the context from which the fact emerged as speakers may take statistic or quote out of context, distorting its meaning. Inferences are not as easy to evaluate because they're based on unverifiable thoughts of a speaker or on speculation. Inferences are usually based at least partially on something that is known, so it is not possible to evaluate whether an inference was made carefully or not. In this sense, you may evaluate an inference based on several known facts as more credible than an inference based on one fact and more speculation. Asking a question like, what led you to think this, is a good way to get information needed to evaluate the strength of an inference. Distinguishing among facts and inferences and evaluating the credibility of supporting material and our critical listening skills that also require good informational listening skills. In formal speaking situations, speakers may cite published or publicly available sources to support their messages. When speakers verbally cite their sources, you can use the credibility of the source to help evaluate the credibility of the speaker's message. For example, a newspaper, a national newspaper, would likely be more credible on a major national event than a tabloid magazine or an anonymous blog. In regular interactions, people also have sources for their information but are not as likely to note them within their message. Asking questions like, where did you hear that, or how do you know that, can help get information needed to make critical evaluations. You can look to Chapter 11, Informative and Persuasive Speaking, to learn much more about persuasive strategies and how to evaluate the strengths of an argument. Discovering your own biases can help you recognize when they interfere with your ability to fully process a message. Unfortunately, most people aren't asked to critically reflect on their identities and their perspectives unless they're in college. And people, and even people who are once critically reflective in college or elsewhere, may no longer be so. Biases are also difficult to discover because we don't see them as biases. We see them as normal or way things are, the way things are. Asking yourself, what led you to think this? Or how do you know that? Can be a good start toward, toward acknowledging your biases. We will also learn more about self-reflection and critical thinking in chapter eight, communication, culture and communication. Last, to be a better critical listener, think beyond the message. A good critical listener asks the following questions. What is being said and what is not being said? In whose interest are these claims being made? Whose voices, ideas are included and excluded? These questions take into account the speaker's intentionally and unintentional slant, edit, or twist messages to make them fit particular perspectives or for personal gain. Also ask yourself questions like, what are the speaker's goals? You can also rephrase that question and direct it toward the speaker, asking them, what is your goal in this interaction? When you feel yourself nearing an evaluation or conclusion, pause and ask yourself what influenced you. Although we like to think that we are most often persuaded through logical evidence and reasoning, we are susceptible to persuasive shortcuts that rely on the credibility or likability of the speaker 
or on our emotions rather than the strength of his or her argument. Petty and Capicia Poe, 1984. So keep a check on your emotional involvement to be aware of how it may be influencing your evaluation. Also, be aware that how likable, attractive, or friendly you think a person is may also lead you to more positively evaluating his or her messages. Other tips to help you become a better critical listener. Ask questions to help get more information and increase your critical awareness when you get answers like, because that's the the way things are, or it's always been like that, I don't know, I just don't like it, everyone believes that, or it's natural, normal. These are not really answers that are useful in your critical evaluation and may be an indication that a speaker doesn't really know why they reached the, the conclusion they did or that they reached it without much critical thinking on their part. Be especially critical of speakers who set up either or options because they are artificially limit because they artificially limit an issue or situation on two options when there are always more. Also be aware of people who overgeneralize, especially when those generalizations are based on stereotypical or prejudiced views. For example, the world is not just Republican or Democrat, male or female, pro-life or pro-choice, or Christian or atheist. Evaluate the speaker's message instead of his or her appearance, personality, or other characteristics. Unless someone's appearance, personality, or behavior is relevant to an interaction, direct your criticism to the message. Be aware that critical evaluation isn't always quick or easy. Sometimes you may have to withhold judgment because your evaluation will take more time. Also, keep in mind your evaluation may not be final and you should be open to critical reflection and possible revision later. Also, avoid mind reading, which is assuming you know what the other person is going to say or that you know why they reached the conclusion they did. This leads to jumping to conclusions, which shortcuts the critical evaluation process. Becoming a better empathetic listener. A prominent scholar of empathetic listening describes it in this way. Empathetic listening is to be respectful of the dignity of others. Empathetic listening is caring, is a caring, a love of the wisdom to be found in others, whoever they may be. Bruno, 1993. This quote conveys that empathetic listening is more philosophical than other types of listening. It requires that we are open to subjectivity and that we engage in it because we generally see it as worthwhile. Combining active and empathetic listening leads to an active empathetic listening. During active empathetic listening, a listener becomes actively and emotionally involved in an interaction in such a way that it is conscious on the part of the listener and perceived by the speaker, Bodhi 2011. To be a better empathetic listener, we need to suspend or at least attempt to suppress our judgment of the other person or the message so we can fully attend to both. Paraphrasing is an important part of empathetic listening because it helps us put the, put the other person's words into our frame of experience without making it about us. 
In addition, speaking the words of someone else in our own way can help evoke within us the feelings that the other person felt while saying them. Bodhi, 2011. Active, empathetic listening is more than echoing back verbal messages. We also engage in mirroring, which refers to a listener's replication of the nonverbal signals of a speaker. Bruno, 1993. Therapists, for example, are often taught to adopt a posture and tone similar to their patients in order to build rapport and project empathy. Paraphrasing and questioning are useful techniques for empathetic listening because they allow us to respond to a speaker without taking the floor or the attention away for long. Specifically, questions that ask for elaboration act as verbal door openers, inviting someone to speak more and then validating their speech through active listening cues can help a person feel listened to. Hargi, 2011. I found that paraphrasing and asking questions are also useful when we feel tempted to share our own stories and experiences rather than maintaining our listening role. These questions aren't intended to solicit more information so we can guide or direct the speaker towards a specific course of action. Although it's easier for us to slip into an advisory mode, saying things like, well, if I were you, I would, we have to resist the temptation to give unsolicited advice. Empathetic listening can be worthwhile, but it also brings challenges. In terms of cost, empathetic listening can use up time and effort. Since this listening can't be contained within a prescribed time frame, it may be especially difficult for time-oriented listeners. Bruno, 1993. Empathetic listening can also be a test of our endurance, and its action and its orientation towards focus and support on others requires a processing and integration of much verbal and nonverbal information. Because of this potential strain, it's important to know your limits as an empathetic listener. While listening can be therapeutic, it is not appropriate for people without training and preparation to try and serve as therapists. Some people have chronic issues that necessitate professional listening for the purposes of evaluation, diagnosis, and therapy. Lending an ear is different from diagnosing and treating. If you have a friend who is exhibiting signs of a more serious issue that needs attention, listen to the extent you feel comfortable and then be prepared to provide referrals or other sources that have training to help. To face these challenges, good empathetic listeners typically have a generally positive self-concept and self-esteem, are non-verbally sensitive and expressive, and are comfortable with embracing another person's subjectivity and refraining too much from analytical thought. Becoming a better contextual listener. Active, critical, and empathetic listening skills can be helpful in a variety of contexts. Understanding the role that listening plays in professional, relational, cultural, and gendered contexts can help us more competently apply these skills. Whether we are listening to or evaluating messages from a supervisor, parent, or intercultural conversational partner, we have much to gain or lose based on our ability to apply listening skills and knowledge in various contexts. Listening in professional contexts. Listening and organization 
organizational communication scholars note that listening is one of the most neglected aspects of organizational communication research. Flynn, Villakoski, and Grow, 2008. Aside from a lack of research, a study also found that business schools lack curriculum that includes instruction and or training in communication skills, like listening in their Masters of Business Administration programs, ALSOP 2002. This lack of a focus on listening persists, even though we know that more effective listening skills have been shown to enhance sales performance and that managers who exhibit good listening skills can help create open communication climates that lead to increased feelings of supportiveness, motivation, and productivity. Flynn, Valakowski, and Grow, 2008. Specifically, empathetic listening and active listening can play key roles in organizational communication. Managers are wise to enhance their empathetic listening and as being able to empathize with employees contributes to a positive communication climate. Active listening among organizational members also promotes involvement and increases motivation, which leads to more cohesion and enhances the communication climate. Organizational scholars have examined various communication climates specific to listening. Listening environment refers to characteristics and norms of an organization and its members that contribute to expectations for and perceptions about listening. Brownell, 1993. Positive listening environments are perceived to be more employee-centered, which can improve job satisfaction and cohesion. But how do we create such environments? Positive listening environments are facilitated by breaking down barriers to concentration, the reduction of noise, the creation of a shared reality through shared language such as similar jargon and or a shared vision statement, intentional spaces that promote listening, official opportunities that promote listening, training and listening for all employees, and leaders who model good listening practices and praise others who are successful listeners. Brownell, 1993. Policies and practices that support listening must go hand in hand. After all, what does an open door policy mean if it's not coupled with the actions that demonstrate the sincerity of the policy? Listening in relational contexts. Listening plays a central role in establishing and maintaining our relationship. Nelson Jones, 2006. Without some listening competence, we wouldn't be able to engage in the self-disclosure process, which is essential for the establishment of relationships. Newly acquainted people get to know each other through increasingly personal and reciprocal disclosures of personal information. In order to reciprocate a conversational partner's disclosure, we must process it through listening. Once relationships are formed, listening to others provides a psychological reward through the simple act of recognition that helps maintain our relationships. Listening to our relational partners and being listened to in return is part of the give and take of any interpersonal relationship. Our thoughts and experiences back up inside us, inside of us and get them out helps us maintain positive balance. Nelson Jones, 2006. 
So something as routine and seemingly pointless as listening to our romantic partner debrief the events of his or her day or our roommate recount his or her weekend back home shows us that we we are taking an interest in their lives and we are willing to put our own needs and concerns aside for a moment to attend to their needs. Listening also closely ties to conflict as a lack of listening often plays a large role in creating conflict while effective listening helps us resolve it. Listening has relational implications throughout our lives too. People who engage in competent listening behaviors with their children from a very young age make children feel worthwhile and appreciated, which affects their development in terms of personality and character. Nichols, 1995. A lack of listening leads to feelings of loneliness, which results in lower self-esteem and higher degrees of anxiety. In fact, by the ages of four and five years old, the the empathy and recognition shown by their presence or lack of listening has molded children's personalities in noticeable ways. Nichols, 1995. Children who have been listened to grow up expecting others will be available and receptive to them. These children are therefore more likely to interact confidently with teachers and peer, parents and peers in ways that help develop communication competence that will be built on throughout their lives. Children who have not been listened to may, came, may come to expect that others will not want to listen to them, which leads to lack of opportunities to practice, develop, and hone fo- foundational communication skills. Fortunately for the more listened to children and unfortunately for the less listened to children, these early experiences become predispositions that don't change much as a child as the children get older and may actually reinforce themselves and become stronger. Listening and culture. Some cultures place more importance on listening than other cultures. In generally, collectivist cultures tend to value listening more than individualistic cultures that are more speaker-oriented. The value placed on verbal and nonverbal meaning also varies by culture and influences how we communicate and listen. A low-context communication style is one in which much of the meaning generated within an interaction comes from the verbal communication used rather than nonverbal or contextual cues. Conversely, much of the meaning generated by a high-context communication style comes from the nonverbal and contextual clues. Lustig and Coaster, 2006. For example, U.S. Americans of European descent generally use a low-context communication style, while people in East Asia and Latin American cultures use a high-context communication style. Contextual communication styles may affect listening in many ways. Cultures with a high-context orientation generally use less verbal communication and value silence as a form of communication, which requires listeners to pay close attention to the nonverbal signals and consider contextual influences of a me- on a message. Cultures with a low context orientation must use more verbal communication and provide explicit details since listeners aren't expected to derive meaning from the context. 
Note that people from low context cultures may feel frustrated by the ambiguity by the ambiguity of speakers from high context cultures, while speakers from high context cultures may feel overwhelmed or even insulted by the level of detail used by low context communicators. Cultures with low context communication styles may also tend to have a monochronic orientation to time, while high context cultures have a polychronic time orientation, which also affects listening. As chapter 8, Culture and Communication, discusses, cultures that favor a structured and a, a commodified orientation towards time are said to be monochronic, while cultures that favor a more flexible orientation are polychronic. Monochronic cultures like the United States value time and action-oriented listening styles, especially in professional contexts, because time is seen as a commodity that is scarce and must be managed. McCorkac, 2007. This is evidenced by leaders in business and organizations who often re request executive summaries that only focus on the most relevant information and who use statements like, get to the point. Polychronic cultures value people and content-oriented listening styles, which makes sense when we consider that polychronic cultures also tend to be more collectivistic and use high-context communication style. In collectivist cultures, indirect communication is preferred in cases where direct communication would be considered a threat to the other person's face or desired public image. For example, flatly turning down a business offer would be too direct, so a person might reply with maybe instead of no. The person making the proposal, however, would be able to draw on contextual clues that they have implicitly learned through socialization to interpret that the maybe is a no. Listening and gender. Research on gender and listening has produced mixed results. As we've already learned, much of the re research on gender differences and communication has been influenced by gender stereotypes and falsely connected to biological differences. More recent research has found people communicate in different ways that conform to gender stereotypes in some situations and not in others, which shows that our communication is more influenced by societal expectations than by innate or gendered hardwiring. For example, through socialization, men are generally discouraged from expressing emotions in public. A woman sharing an emotional experience with a man may perceive that, that the man's lack of emotional reaction is a sign of inattentiveness, especially if he typically shows more emotion during private interactions. The man, however, may be listening but withholding nonverbal expression because of social norms. He may not realize that withholding those expressions could be seen as a lack of empathetic or active listening. Researchers also dispel the belief that men interrupt more than women do, finding that men and women interrupt each other with similar frequency in cross-gender encounters. Uh, Dindia, 1987. So men may interrupt each other more in the same gendered interactions as a subconscious or as a conscious or subconscious attempt to establish dominance because such behaviors are expected as men are socially generalized to be more competitive than women. However, this type of comp competitive interrupting isn't as present in cross-gender interactions because the context 
have shifted. Congratulations, you have made it to the end of the section, chapter 5.3, the listening chapter. You can review the key takeaways and the exercises and the references on your own. And I will meet you back here for the next section, chapter 5.4.